0: It's admittedly a little hard to get back into the routine I think if you're like me, it's you kind of I get in my routines and and then when it gets disrupted to get back into it. so I hope you guys had um, a, a relatively easy time getting back into this study. Um, I think I don't know, we were talking about it last week and a lot of us actually had this study done so I don't know where you guys were with that I'm not I don't recall how. That all folded or unfolded at the end of the year, but um, or the beginning of the year, that was just madness. but um, I am so grateful that the Lord is seeing us through day by day, is he not? and um, we are learning to trust him, and I could not be more amazed at how timely I think some of these lessons have been for us in these days. Um, so it's been um, an incredible journey as we have watched Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob journey um, to parallel that with our lives and um, to find that trust, to find that um, faithfulness of God to see us day by day um, through these times, and um, let's dive back in and um, continue to have his word transform our hearts and our minds and and grow our faith and our trust in him. So let's pray first. Father, I thank you for um, indeed gathering us back together as you have called us from the very beginning to be in community with one another, Father, that um, you will be sovereign over Um, Each one of us and each one of our lives and what is going on beyond our control so that you will not forsake us and you will not leave us and you will not um, allow anything ultimately to separate us from you, Father. So we want to grow in the trust and the knowledge of that understanding so that it strengthens our faith, it strengthens our resolve. It strengthens our confidence to stand firm in you, Father. We want to be um, women who just have that full heart, that full mind that um, just continues to be surrendered to who you are and who we are as we continue to learn to walk worthy of the manner in which you've called us. And what that means, Father, as I'm learning, is to just Walk in the confidence that we can trust you, that our hope and our faith, our anchor is in you, and that you are in complete control, no matter how um, uncontrolled we find ourselves in these situations, Father, that um, we know our Heavenly Father, and we know that you will see us through, so we want to be surrendered, we want to hear, we want to learn, we want to know that you, Father, will use these days to strengthen us, and you will use one another to remind us to continue to look up. So use this morning, I pray. Use it to um, give us that confidence, that assurance, that hope that rests solely on you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so kind of, Lurie gave us a wonderful, like, flyover of all that we've been studying last week and kind of dove right in um, to pick up right where we left off and and give a little bit of a, um, again, a reminder that um, from our last chapter in 31, Laban had chased down Jacob after he had left and met him in that place. And um, they had their little their little final meaning get-together of um, what this is going to look like as they played out. And I've called it um, that particular, I have three kind of overarching points, and that first interaction between Jacob and Laban was a, a forced reconciliation, if you will. They basically agreed to disagree and go on their separate ways, um, but I wanted to just go back and remember that, um, you know, who those relationships were with one another, that Laban was a family relation, and he was um, Jacob's uncle. He um, he was the one who Jacob fled to. He was Rebecca's brother, that when all of the um, situation with Esau came to a head, Rebecca sent Jacob to Laban, who was his family. Um, it was his supposed to be a safety and a refuge for him. And we know over the course of that that he then married his, not one, but two of his daughters and he became his father in law as well. And so that family relationship was there. And as I looked at that, and we see those family relationships where we want to run and expect even that safety and that refuge in those places. Um, What we see in this dynamic is Laban lied about Jacob, he lied to Jacob, he cheated Jacob, and we just don't expect that, do we, from the family relationships. They're supposed to be the ones who love us, who will protect us, who will stand up for us, who will stay with us no matter what. We don't ask for that kind of love, that kind of protection necessarily from strangers, but we do from those who are our family, and it more than hurts when we experience it. It can leave sometimes scars too deep that are even um, hard to heal, no matter how much time has passed. It's been 20 years of living in this circumstance, and I've wondered, you know, I thought about that, and I know so many of us from a Wide spectrum from the most innocent, maybe um, unkind comment to some serious, serious matters that we've experienced the betrayal at the hands of a family member. Um, maybe as a child, you did from a parent, or as a parent, even from an adult, older child, as a sister, from a sibling, or as a wife, from a spouse. We can even do it as a believer, from another unbeliever, or from another believer and or even, most tragically sometimes, even at the hands of a pastor. And if you've ever experienced that kind of a hurt and that kind of a betrayal, we want you to know that you can reach out. You, we, There are people among you who have experienced that, who have a ministry to... Um, speak to you and stand with you and to walk you through these times if you need that kind of a healing. It's a reconciliation that um, is mo- mainly for your own peace with, um, within yourself. And we want to guide you and lead you. And as Lurie said last week, um, afterwards, if any of you ever need prayer or want prayer, please seek out your leaders or one of us, and we will be more than happy to to do that um, and to help you in whatever way we can. We also want to, or I want to also point out that, you know, in those times of hurtings, what we do is we turn to the Lord, right? And we also look to, Jesus as our um, example of how maybe he handled that because he knew those things, didn't he? Um, Mark three twenty to twenty one tells us that um, when Jesus entered the house and the crowd gathered again, so that they weren't even able to hear or able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him and said, "He's out of his mind." He knows that unkind word and that hurt from the family betrayal. In John 1, 1 through 5, he says, after the or the word says, after this, Jesus traveled in Galilee since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. The Jewish festival of shelters was near, and so his brothers said to him, and I hear it in a mocking voice, leave here and go to Judea. Because he just said, this is the place where the Judeans were trying to kill Jesus. And what does his family, his brothers tell him to do? Why don't you go to Judea? they're trying to kill you so your disciples can see your works that you are doing for no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition which was jesus seeking public recognition no if you do these things show yourself to the world for not even his brothers believed in him jesus knows that hurt of the betrayal of a family and he can and will and wants to walk alongside you in those kind of circumstances. Take your hearts to Jesus and let him comfort you with his truth, his word, his peace, his promises to you. So as Jacob learns or separates from Laban, I get the sense he might be feeling really, really alone right about now. He is separated from Laban, from whom all ties have now been severed, and he is returning to the land of his brother, which, as we recall, is the one who desired to kill him. So he, as far as he knows, he's hoping time enough time has passed, but when they last saw each other, that was the circumstance. So can you picture and feel how Jacob how alone Jacob must be right now? Can you imagine him wondering as he now faces this new journey. What now? But he does have the word of God. He has the confidence that God has watched over him and has told him it is time to return home. And so he does the only thing he can do. He continues on his way back home. In verse 1, we see Jacob went on his way. And what does it say? And the angels of God met him. Twice now, God has come to meet Jacob right where he was at in those times of loneliness. Recall when the first time occurred, it was when Jacob was fleeing Esau. And again, he left with only his staff and he was alone. This time, he's returning back to Esau, but he's alone. He's got, yes, his possessions and his family and all that um, he has acquired over these courses. But you know that time... And you've had those times where it doesn't matter how many people you're around, you can feel very alone. And let's read and go back to um, Genesis 28, when God met him that first time when he fled Esau. Genesis 28, um, 10 through 22, I'm going to read to you. Then Jacob departed from Bathsheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and behold, the angel of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants also will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So now Jacob is returning, God once again meeting Jacob to remind him that he is surrounded by the heavenly hosts, the very army of God, and he is secure within that. Would that not give you all the boldness and the confidence to be marching with the army of God? He is on your side. He will be with you wherever you go. If he is for you, who can be against you? So now as Jacob returns and heads towards home, we see an overdue reconciliation that is coming with Esau. So in confidence and boldness, Jacob is ready to face Esau and seek reconciliation. He sends messengers ahead to let Esau know he is on his way and returning home. And he is not alone. He may, he may have left empty-handed, but he is returning abundantly rich. He has amassed livestock and servants and is now wanting to find favor, that is to find grace, to find forgiveness from Esau. It seems more like Jacob is rubbing it in Esau's face of how successful and blessed he has become, though. By calling Esau Lord and referring to himself as his servant, is he being genuine? Everyone involved knows Isaac's blessing was that Esau would call Jacob Lord and he be the servant. That's indeed what started this whole mess. So we can only second guess as to whether or not this was a genuine act of humility or a misguided declaration of, look, everything God said would happen did. Basically, ha, I told you so. Regardless if it's genuine or not, Jacob is bolstered in what he remembers as the Lord has met him and reminded of him in his promises, so he confidently heads back home. And how much time do you suppose passed between Jacob's renewed confidence in sending the messengers ahead to Esau and the time in which it took for those messengers to return back to Jacob and give him the message? I wondered and I did a little bit of research and you know it might have been as little dependent upon where they are from about probably a week between the messengers going to give Esau the message that Jacob was headed home and then the messengers returning. And in that time that that just joyousness, joyousness is that a word? Of Jacob and thinking and remembering all that God has done. Verse 6 says the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore he is coming to meet you, and 400 men with him. And with that news, all of Jacob's confidence immediately drained from him. 400 men would be the size of a standard militia. Recall when Abraham went out to save Lot from the four kings when they kidnapped him. Abraham took 318 men to pursue four kings. Esau is bringing 400 men to face one lonely, self-described, quote-unquote, servant. It does not seem that Esau is so ready to forgive and forget yet. And Jacob forgot all about God's army because all he could focus on was Esau's army. And are we not like that too, ladies? completely confident in God's promises until we walk out the door and face the reality of adversity that undermines our confidence and threatens our security? To Jacob's credit, he does what is wise and prudent given the perceived situation. We see him do three things. He responds with the military strategy of defense by dividing his company into two. So this way, at least hopefully one of the camps has a chance to survive. We see him pray, and we see him send out a gift in hopes of reconciliation. So was Jacob not trusting God by dividing his camp into two? I read that from a couple commentaries. Maybe, maybe not. He is afraid and distressed, as we are told. And as humans, we are not immune to those emotions. Even when we know God, we have his word, we have his promises. The key is what we do with that fear. We are quite literally living in a time that is creating all kinds of fear. Perceived fear, real fear, things that are happening outside of our control. Would we not call it foolish foolish to say because we trust God, we do not need to act prudently and wisely according to the understanding God has given us? In all things, Jesus always is our example. And what do we see him do? In Matthew 4, when the enemy took Jesus out to the wilderness, in one of those circumstances we see the devil took Jesus into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Didn't Jesus trust God to save him? Isn't that what the devil is provoking? God said he would command his angels concerning you. So trust him, Jesus. On the other hand, Jesus said, it is written, do not put your God to the test. We never relinquish our trust in God but we also never relinquish our obligation to seek to act responsibly. In these fearful times, be wise, act prudently. We do what we can according to God's given resources to be safe. We do this absolutely without question. But at the same time, ladies, we f- that fear that must be surrendered to God when it comes time to stand up and face our enemies. We have to surrender that. We grow closer and closer to the day when we may very well have to choose between declaring our faith in Jesus and desiring our safety. How do we prepare for that day? How does Jacob prepare to meet Esau? That is where we see the prayer. In verses uh, 9 through 12, we see Jacob's prayer. I want to read that. should have brought my glasses up. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. We see in here that prayer focuses our attention back to God and back to his word. Prayer acknowledges God's sovereignty and his power to act. Prayer acknowledges our dependence on God Prayer is the invitation of God, of Almighty God. Think about that, the creator of heaven and earth to come and commune with him, to fellowship with him. Prayer reminds us of who he is and who we are. Prayer is the foundation of our relationship with Christ and to our walk. It is a spiritual discipline that can be learned and cultivated. And there were some lessons or some verses in your lesson to help you reflect on how prayer is used to encourage and strengthen. I encourage you to continue to spend time with these verses or any others. Let them minister to you. Let them encourage you. When we find ourselves in the place of fear, go back to his word. Let it sink in. Meditate on it. And if you need help learning or what that looks like or how others might do that sometimes you get a glimpse of of somebody's walk and you go oh I could let me try that let me see how that incorporates into my faith and sometimes we have different ways it's not like there's a right way to do this we've all been uniquely designed but the important thing is that you return and you meditate and you let it however that looks for you and speak with others about how it looks for them to maybe get ideas of other things you can do. Because it is your the word that will enable us to stand firm. And it is that confidence that we have that we can return to him in our fear. We see Jacob admit his fear to God, and I love that. Take that fear to him. We don't need to have this sense of bravado that, We trust God, so I am not afraid. We are afraid. There are things to be afraid of. But we take it to him. Because when we don't, we let the enemy still kill and destroy our faith. And do not do that, ladies. Do not allow yourself to be separated. We allow him to tell us our faith isn't good enough when we don't trust if you're not trusting God because you're afraid that you're weak and that will continue to divide you and to separate you. Our strength will only get us so far. It was true for, it's true for us as it was for Jacob. We are all unworthy of the loving kindness and of the faithfulness God has shown us. Yet God desires to show us his strength on our behalf to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, to demonstrate his abundant goodness to deliver us from the enemy who comes after us. Take all your fears to God, fears for yourself, fears for your family, fears for your health, fears for your finances, fears for your future, whatever those fears are. Fear that is placed at the feet of Jesus, surrender to his sovereignty, his will, his rule, His reign loses its power to grip us and releases our hearts, our minds, and our hands to say, not my will, but yours be done. Fear is replaced with faith, and terror is replaced with trust. And in this last section, we'll see Jacob now ready to seek forgiveness and restoration with Esau. Notice Jacob does not know for sure if these gifts, and he's now we've moved on to the next set where he has sent 580 livestock in waves and droves so that one after another as it meets Esau. And so um, he sends these in hopes of seeking that restoration. But notice Jacob does not know for sure if these gifts will accomplish their goal of appeasing Esau, but he seeks the forgiveness nonetheless. Our only duty is to seek peace, ask for forgiveness, do what we can to reconcile. The results are not guaranteed. But we find ourselves obedient, doing all we can do, and we wait, and we trust, and we learn to fall on our knees before him. And then in our last section, we see the genuine reconciliation because Jacob spends the night alone again. And Jacob's ultimate reconciliation needs to be with the Lord. Recall in Jacob's prayer, he said, the God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac. But the Lord calls each one of us into our own personal relationship with him. God does not is not a grandfather to anyone. In our lesson, we discussed who this man was that Jacob wrestled, And as we watch this wrestling match, so to speak, we have, um, or I drew out two key points that I want to illuminate for us. One being Jacob had a general knowledge of God that over the course of his life is becoming more and more personal. Jacob is growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And those major growth spurts happen during times of wrestling. In verse 27 it reads, So we said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob, the hill catcher, the crooked one, has now become Israel, the one who has power with God. I want to give you a couple verses. Because what name have you been given, ladies? What label do you wear as your identity? Think about these verses and recall your new name. In Isaiah 56:5, to them I will give you in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Isaiah 62 2. The nations will be, sorry, the nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory, and you will be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will designate. In Isaiah 65, 15 through 16. You will leave your name for a curse to my chosen ones, and the Lord God will say, will slay you, to," and that's to the enemies. But my servants will be called by another name, because he who is blessed in the earth will be blessed by the God of truth, and he who swears in the earth will swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden. From my sight. Lastly, last two verses over in Revelation two seventeen. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. And 3.12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will go out from it, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. We will be given a new name a new identity, forevermore, dwelling with the Lord. We look forward to that day. So don't grow weary, ladies. Now is not the time to give up. Growth comes as we persevere. Wrestling with God produces growth that does not come otherwise. Stay the course. Stay in the wrestling match, if you will. Wrestle with God until you know your identity in him. Continue to turn back to him. And the second thing I want to draw out was Jason. Jason, that's the name of my son. Jacob was physically changed from this encounter. Jacob will forever now walk with a limp. But notice Jacob never says a word of complaint asking why would you do this to me, Lord? What is he in awe of? Verse 30 says, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. He's in awe of the fact that he's seen God and still alive. We know in Exodus 33, 20, no man can see God and live, right? This is the ultimate reconciliation, to be restored and able to forevermore dwell with God once again. This was God's plan from the beginning. This is his plan through every generation. This is why we are studying the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to see God's presence and power and plan to redeem and restore back into fellowship with him. Their lives are a witness to us that God will do exactly what he said he would do. In the fullness of time, God would send forth his son, born of a woman born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And that's from Galatians 4. Mm-hmm. Ladies, if he has proved himself faithful to bring about our salvation, he will be faithful and can be trusted in these days as well to perfect and complete the work he has begun in you. He is in absolute, complete control over these days over these nations, over these rulers, over nature, over people, over mandates, over this evil, over it all. He will see you through. Lean in. Learn his name. Obey his word. He is your strength, your comfort, your hope, your confidence. I want to end this in a time of prayer, but I want us to pray through Together, I will read Psalm 46. So be this attitude of prayer as I read it through with you. Let's pray. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Selah, think about this, remember this, meditate on this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered, He raised his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Remember, think about, the Lord of hosts is with us. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Amen. Thank you, ladies.